this is Kevin Barrett of Truth Jihad Radio. I have been deplatformed by the idiot censorship robots at Patreon, so now you can subscribe to me at Substack by going to truthjihad.com and clicking on the subscribe at Substack button. Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink, or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was, uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome. This is the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, bringing you uncommon conversations about everything that your mother told you never to talk about around the family dinner table or in polite company. Everything from 9-11 truth and other so-called conspiracy theories, most of which are true, to, well, how about uh, religion? Uh, you're not really supposed to talk about religion with people among different religions, because they're likely to all get upset and get mad. And right, isn't religion really just about quarreling? That's what they tell us. And after the uh, Hundred Years' War and the, the these uh, wars after the Protestant Reformation, the West has gone into a post-religious phase, thinking that religion is just about people quarreling. Well, wait a minute. They've been waging war on religion for a century, and everybody's still quarreling even worse than they were. So maybe that's not the problem. Anyway, we're going to bring on a Muslim Eric and a Christian Eric tonight to uh, discuss everything taboo that we can think of, including religion. And we're going to start with the big question, which is how long before the United States swirls a little faster right on down the, the toilet bowl, because the collapse is becoming visible in real time in certain respects. Uh, Eric Wahlberg, we'll talk about that in the first hour. Then in the second hour, Eric Sayward said he wanted to talk about God. But we're also going to talk about 9-11 Truth because we're in the run-up to the 9-11 anniversary. And Eric was one of the founders of We Are Change. All right, let's get going with the first hour. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, no, Eric Wahlberg probably isn't on the line quite yet because he's actually on Press TV. If you're watching or rather listening to this on a computer you might be able to simultaneously listen to this and then also open up a window and watch Eric Wahlberg talking on PressTV.ir, where he is a frequent guest, as am I. I forget what Eric is talking about tonight, but I guess we can ask him once we get him on the line. Uh, he said it, he thought it would be about a 10-minute interview on Press TV, so that means I have another five minutes of monologue here to go. Think you can handle that? I'm good for it if you are. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so what are we going to talk about here with, with the, the collapse theme? Well, Eric Wahlberg just reviewed Andre Martenyov's Disintegration, Indicators of the Coming American Collapse. In his article, Eric also cites Dmitry Orlov, who is the kind of founding father of Russian-American collapse studies. I just had Dmitry on the show a while back. And he's thinking that he got it right, even though he was saying this 20 years ago. And, you know, we're not quite, you know, in the, the road warrior phase yet. But I think we're getting there. 
anyway, Dimitri was definitely a little ahead of his time. And Eric just uh, said that this Andre Martinoff book that just came out is it's worth reading and it's touching on these themes that seems like everybody's talking about these days. And, you know, one one of the aspects, of course, is the decline of American relative power. China is challenging the U.S. now for global leadership. It's got a more powerful economy than the American economy. It's going all out in certain key technology sectors. And military power can't be far behind. In this kind of situation, normally, the established number one power, which in this case would be the USA, is likely to mount a preemptive war against the rising number two power. According to Graham Allison, who has written about the so-called Thucydides paradox, this happens two-thirds of the time, historically. He goes over a few dozen cases. So one would expect that the U.S. is going to launch a preemptive war against China to try to prevent China from continuing to rise And specifically, the U.S. is going to launch a preemptive war targeting China's economy because the Chinese economy is the engine of China's rise. And if it keeps growing at close to double digits, that's all she wrote for U.S. global domination, which is really Anglo-Zionist global domination, if you want to be more specific about it, because it's certainly not being run on behalf of or by the American people. It's it's an oligarchy, and this oligarchy is not really loyal to nation states, but it is a Western oligarchy. It's got a lot of folks of the Zionist persuasion overrepresented in that oligarchy, and that's that's who rules the West right now. That's the uh, the empire, and so that empire is expected to launch a preemptive war, and that war has got to try to focus on stopping China's economic growth. One way to do that would be to win a military war. But how are you going to win a military war against China? If it goes nuclear, then U.S. cities get destroyed and everything's toast. If you try to fight right off uh, China's border, if you're really lucky, you might be able to keep Taiwan so-called independent for another few decades. Hardly uh, a good prospect. So what are the American empire or the Anglo-Zionist empire guys going to do about this situation? They've got to attack China. They've got to try to stop China's economic growth. How could they do that? Well, the obvious answer is bioweapons. Whole classes of biological weapons have been developed, designed to target economies. If you can get people sick, you can force the economy to divert all sorts of resources towards dealing with the emergency. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> so I'm obviously approaching Ron Unz's thesis that COVID-19 is a U.S. bioweapon that was launched against China and then Iran and that blew back. Probably because these moronic neoconservatives that did it were they hadn't adequately tested it you know maybe they were only allowed to to test it on dozens of prisoners rather than the thousands that would have been required to understand uh how the contagion would work who knows they got away with a bunch of other bio attacks on china they got away with the original sars 
they got away with the swine flu and pig flu in 2018, the swine flu and chicken flu in 2018, 2019. And they probably hoped that this COVID would be contained in China, just like SARS was. They knew that the Western countries have the best public health systems. So it certainly wouldn't ever reach here, would it? Would it? All right. Well, maybe we can leave that off here because I think I heard an echo, which might mean that Eric is on the line. Eric yes. Wahlberg, are you there? Yes, yes. Hey, welcome, Eric. You just got off Press TV. What were you talking about? Well, actually, uh, I didn't just get off. Uh, they, I guess we, they, we missed each other somehow. Ah, you got canceled so. from Press TV. How humiliating. Well, it's 10 minutes past eight, and it should be by now. So uh, uh, I guess they could still try and call me, but I think that's unlikely. So can you see me as the camera? Yeah, I can, I can see you, but you can turn off your camera because this is radio. And so oh. your, your good looks are being wasted on our listeners. Uh -huh. Okay, well, in case Press TV calls, I'll leave it set up. Okay, so all I have to do is... Just click the camera icon. And that'll turn your camera off. Uh, icon. There we go. Okay. And then if, if Press TV were to call, uh, then you could put this call on hold. And then you could click that camera icon and you would be broadcasting live on Press TV. Um, and uh, Press TV is obviously doing something right since the uh, U.S. government just felt the need to seize their website domain and, and nuke it. I mean, can you believe that, Eric? Well, but everything's continued. I still do interviews, and they're posted on Facebook and on on some uh, other, uh, I, I don't know the name, uh, another site where they uh, publish. So w what's happened? Is it, did it work? Or, well, I mean, well, you know, I, I think they shot themselves in the foot once again, because the net result of this U.S. government shutdown of PressTV.com uh, has been that it it just pisses everybody off. I mean, it just shows that the U.S. government is so insecure that it feels it can't win the debate with uh, an Iranian broadcast outlet, so it has to try to erase them, but it doesn't really erase them. All it does is, is remove the .com, but mm -hmm. they're still there at .ir, so now they can yell and scream about being censored, and everybody will feel sympathy for them, mm -hmm. and everybody will say, wow, what's wrong with the American government that they have to do something like this? Uh, they must be, you know, insecure and unable to win the debate, and that actually gives Press TV publicity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I, I think they really, once again, shot themselves in the foot. I'm really not very impressed with the proficiency of the managers of the U.S. Empire at this point. Right, I agree. Yeah, I was, I was ranting in, before you got on uh, about the, the, the well, the, basically, the, to summarize it in a nutshell here. Uh, according to Allison's Thucydides paradox, we should expect at least a two-thirds chance that the U.S. will do everything it can in terms of preemptive war to stop China's rise, and it needs to do it sooner rather than later, because every day that goes by, China gets stronger, U.S. gets weaker. Therefore, we would expect that since the U.S. probably can't win a military war, uh, can't succeed in, in achieving its objectives militarily through conventional warfare, what we would expect and what we would have expected, let's say five years ago, would be a U.S. bio attack on China with something designed to mess with their economy. Well, lo and behold, we had swine flu taking out their entire pork supply, their biggest meat uh, sector, and then uh, their chicken flu taking out their biggest, uh, uh, second biggest meat sector in 2018, 2019. And then in 2020, 
uh, miracle of miracles, uh, COVID-19 shows up in the worst possible place at the worst possible time in in China, uh, the, the transit hub of all of China on Chinese New Year's. Everybody's moving through there. And then it immediately jumps before it goes anywhere else to Qom, Iran, where there are no Chinese people. And it, it, it kills off a bunch of leading Iranians and infects 10 percent of their parliament. Iran is the only country that has actually suffered major losses in leadership. Given all of this and given the uh, the clear foreknowledge of the COVID pandemic shown by a d defense intelligence agency memo to allies put out in November of 2019, all of this makes it thunderingly obvious to me that Iran uns is right and that COVID is a U.S. bioattack on Iran and but China that blew back. But uh, China won the COVID war. It uh, has n it's uh, the least affected of any country. So uh, that, if that's true, then it, it was uh, backfiring because uh, the U.S. Uh, is really one of the worst. I look statistically, if you if you want to see how many uh, um, percentage, uh, it's 15 uh, percent of the American population have had uh, COVID. Uh, 15 percent, and it's much higher than in so far. This is like so far. Uh, in in uh, Russia, it was like eight percent. Canada is six, and most of Europe is six percent uh, infected. So the the uh, U U.S. suffered most of any, and deaths also. Proportion of deaths uh, is higher. Uh, well, or the number of deaths and and. Uh, uh, very high in the U.S. So yes, that's right. So Ron so, Owens thinks he thinks that it it was blowback. He thinks that these people are complete uh, idiots. Yeah, I don't. I, I I'm sorry. I, I I'm a skeptic on just about all of the uh, uh, conspiracy theories. The capitalism is the biggest conspiracy. That's that's all you have to learn is to follow the what is it? It's uh, uh, you like a pro bono and everything. That you just use the logic and you'll see who's doing what and why and you have to fight it. It's, well, yeah, I, I agree. But I, I think that the, the people uh, are follow the money and you get to the people who, the run, who run the banks and run the money system. And that would be the, you know, the oligarchy that runs the West. And that oligarchy is or at least portions of it are definitely part of a conscious plan to impose a one world global government under their control. And so they want to use the militaries they control, the, the U.S. NATO militaries, to take over the planet. And so they would be expected to wage preemptive war against China. And it would be a miracle if we arrive at 2020 and the U.S. hasn't done a preemptive bioattack on China. But I think it's obvious that it has. Uh, well, well uh, all I can say is long live the revolution. That's <laughs> okay. I'm with you on that, Eric. <laughs> if you overthrow them, that's why I, I keep going back to Palestine. Is it's such a key uh, um, struggle because if we can win that, I mean, win to the point of making Israel bat bat, you know, uh, bat an eye and stop staring. Uh, if you can back them off a bit, then that will begin a cascade of uh, you know, the, the Middle East would clear up and then uh, all of a sudden Iran and Saudi, everyone would be getting along. It's uh, Israel really is the uh, uh, um, my bet noir. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, it, you know, there was there are a couple of interesting Israel related stories this week that we're going to be reporting on False Flag Weekly News tomorrow. 
And then people can find False Flag Weekly News in the list of stories we're going to cover by going to truthjihad.com and then clicking on the False Flag Weekly News link. And then, you know, you'll see the, the show that's coming up tomorrow. And, and among the interesting Israel-related stories this week, Eric, were, well, there was, of course, Cornell West resigning from Harvard uh, because the Zionists who totally dominate Harvard uh, were mistreating him because he's ah. pro-Palestinian and he's a, he's a 9-11 truther as well, although nobody oh. talks about that. Um, so that what, what do you think of Cornell West being unwelcome at Harvard? Oh, oh he's the black. He's black, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, I saw he, him on an interview with Zizek. What, what's the uh, uh, the uh, Ser- Croatian or Serbian? Uh, you know, you know the the, the gadfly uh, critic. Uh, he makes films, and he makes films with this guy. Um, I'll call really, he makes films with Cornell West. Yeah, Zizek. Okay. You don't know who I'm talking I'm, about? I'm drawing kind of a, a slight blank on this. He, he's on uh, RT a lot. He's there. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. I think I know what you mean. Zizek, whatever. Uh, yes, I, I've seen. So I saw him talking. Well, he's okay. Uh, I. I, I, I he, but he was kicked off. He was kicked out of uh, his position, was he? Well, yeah, he's, he's been met. You know, apparently what's happened is that Cornell West has been subtly told by these Jewish Zionists that totally dominate Harvard uh, that he needs to keep his mouth shut. He needs to stop uh, being so pro-Palestinian. And I'm sure they didn't appreciate him you know, being pro 9-11 truth, even though he was pretty subtle about it. Uh, and so they didn't give him tenure. And and they didn't give him a raise, and they you know they do all these things to make you miserable if they kind of want you to leave their university. That's, it's the same with Tony Hall. It's the uh, same. Yeah. Or in Finkelstein too. Yeah. And denied tenure. Oh, it's happening everywhere. They, they pick them off like, you know, uh, uh, with a BB gun, uh, shooting yeah. at people, uh, little fruits. Oh, and there, that law you saw at the Osgood Hall here in Toronto, a big scandal that. The Zionists uh, uh, moved in and, and pressured the judge to, uh, uh, I don't know, to cancel. I, you didn't see this. This was a big thing. That it was really interference uh, by uh, the Zionists. They went right in to uh, pressure them to not hire this Palestinian woman. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. And that was the, which university was that? University of Toronto, Osgood Hall. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, you, we had a big battle. Hundreds of, of academics protested, and of course, nothing happens. You know, they, they get their way. It's just the way. Uh, I don't know if you know Robert Moses. Do you know Robert Moses? The, the, uh, remind the, me who he is. That built all the sky. Uh, uh, well, no, more, more all the roads in New York. Okay, so tell, tell us the story. Twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. Well, it's it, he uses the same. Uh, or it's the same tactic. You move in and you destroy the buildings and you start the uh, road, and then the government has to, the city council has to agree. He did that all the way through. So it's the same uh, today. You know, you just move in and, and uh, destroy, and uh, uh, you get the person fired, and then they're gone. And uh, yeah, yeah, they have different ways of doing it. Like with Tony Hall, they went all out to smear him. 
because they didn't like his very forthright uh, 9-11 truth work. Yeah, right, so they, right. they just really totally smeared him and focused on that. Whereas with Cornell West, he has, you know, he has this kind of reputation and he's he's a, he's the leading black academician. And so maybe they didn't feel comfortable, you know, focusing on his 9-11 truth thing, which is pretty mm-hmm. subtle. Like he he came to our million Muslim march for 9-11 truth in Washington, D.C. back in whatever that was, 2011 or something. And uh, he you know, gave a speech there. And, you know, he's he's very clearly a 9-11 truth supporter and has been from way back. But he hasn't been as forthright about it as Tony Hall was. So rather than using that as the cudgel with which to beat him, they have completely ignored that aspect of it. And in fact, they're they're basically playing uh, kind of passive aggressive. They're not really beating up on him. They're pretending that uh, they're not really doing anything to him. And that he's the one resigning. But as I said, they they forced him to resign through this passive aggressive maltreatment. So did uh, you, you want to talk about my? Uh, uh, yeah, let's talk about collapse uh, because that, that was, that's, that's this book review you just did. Yeah, it's a bit. Uh, uh, I, I should. Edit, I'm going to edit it a bit more before I, I keep it, but. Well, yes. Do you want to just ask something? You want me? Yeah, to sure. Well, okay. So, so you reviewed Andrei Martinov's Disintegration: Indicators of the Coming American Collapse, 2021, and a lot of people might confuse Andrei Martinov, uh, who's you know one of the you know he's, he's a Russian collapse guy, and and the the original Russian collapse guy was Dmitry Orlov. Yeah. Uh, so some people might get them confused, but actually these are two different Russian collapse guys, and actually I guess. Isn't Martinov from Baku or something? Um, Martinov, he's from, yes, from Baku. Although I, there's no real biography of him online. I couldn't find anything uh, beyond uh, uh, beyond what, what uh, he is. Asia Times he uh, writes for sometimes. But, um, yeah, but they're both engineers, both uh, Orlov and Mar- Martinov. And really, Orlov is uh, much better. Uh, I, no, he's I, great. Yeah. He's very, you've had him on. And, yeah, and he's, he's been up, on the show a few times. You, yeah. You've got to be a little bit upbeat when you're, when you're talking about this stuff, because it's so, it's so gloomy. I, I think I like to call it uh, dread hope. We have, that's, uh, that's the new, that's what I call the uh, angst we live in. Right yeah, now. that's right. So humor does go a long way towards uh, making that palatable, you know, even like dark and, you know, ironic humor and stuff. Uh, I actually kind of enjoy that in a way, you know, gallows humor. I mean, this is like gallows for the empire, if not the planet. So we might as well have some gallows humor. It's It's got a kind of gothic flavor. What, what I, I, I'm kind of reading through it again now. And, and it's very spooky. There's so many uh, eerie, like the eerie comparisons between the Soviet Union and and the US today and uh, right. I, I like the uh, the joke about um, uh, well I can't I'm trying to find it here uh, but um, uh, the Soviet joke in the late period that the uh, it was the capitalism was rot rotting and people say yes but it smells so sweet <laughs> right it's like the durian fruit yeah. <laughs> except the opposite <laughs> <laughs> that's right there's that fruit that smells awful ah that's so so you see that oh let me write that down hold on durian 
D, is that right? D U R. Yeah. What are you, you going to work this into your article? You're going to have yeah. to. You're going to pay me a nickel for the idea. I already copyrighted it. Oh wow, Jerry, this is wonderful because what it is, capitalism is the opposite of the durian fruit. You see, it, it smells really sweet, and then you bite into it, and that's Marx. You look into the factory, you go inside, and you see it's hell. Oh wow, what an epiphany! Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're like I like I said. Uh, you know, you, you can talk to my lawyer about the royalties that you'll have to pay to use that. Just kidding. So uh, <laughs> I promise to give you fifty percent of whatever I make. Okay. Well, I guess we'll both be rich then. Uh huh. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> what do you think is the best argument that we're heading for collapse? Because there's you know there's this argument between the collapsarians and then their opponents, and as you cited, there's a Wikipedia page that takes us to sort of the wiki media version. I helped create that. Uh, really? Yes, with Mohammed, uh, a friend of mine. Uh, and well, but you're not, you're supposed to be anonymous in these things. So ignore what I just said, because actually all I did was, was uh, provide some advice and, uh, you know, it was a collective. So, well, you know, uh, if you and your friends are good at uh, Wikipedia, I, I could have used you a decade ago when I oh, had I know. a you had that battle horrible. going with them. It's yeah. better not to have the Wikipedia. Yes, it's much better for you not to have a page. It's much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, one, he created one for me, and then they took it down. And I was a little bit uh, uh, insulted, but then I thought, no, that's better. I don't really want uh, that. I don't need that kind of, of uh, publicity, I don't think. Because it, then it's you get people editing it, and then eventually... Oh, the Zionists will go to town on you. I mean, if if you, your page was still up, it would start attracting them, and they would be swarming yeah. around it and, and making up all kinds of bizarre libels against you. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not interested in that. Right. You know, so, what, what, uh, so, so there's this debate between the collapse Aryans and then the people who don't think the U.S. is about to collapse. And so, what what are the best arguments that the U.S. is about to collapse? Uh, well, let's let me think for a second why it's not going to be collapsing. Well. Yeah, I can't really see what collapse doesn't mean for me uh, tomorrow. It's it's we're all, it's already collapsing. It's in the process. You, every time you turn around, you know the uh, uh, um, they try and bomb Iranian so-called sites in Syria, uh, and then uh, the next day, it, bombs end up in U.S. bases here and there, all over in in. Uh, um, in uh, Kurdistan <laughs> or, or the uh, the embassy just last week, there was more bombs. One landed right inside the embassy, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, I, you know, it's, and look at their, oh, this moment in Afghanistan. I, 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 we should have talk some time about, because I've, I've done a lot uh, and read a lot about the Taliban. And I, I don't, I mean, it, as a Muslim, I, I'm glad to see you, the Muslims uh, kicking out the infidel. There's just not, there can't be a more beautiful, uh, uh, what, a jihad in, in all of, of Islam. I, would you, I think you would agree with me on, on that, no? Well, I'm not sure if, if the, the Taliban's uh, jihad is, is the most beautiful one of all time, no. but I yeah. certainly relate to people who, uh, who have been defending that land and have pushed, you know, pushed out all these invaders and taken down empires. And that's actually uh, pretty amazing. The, the best thing the U.S. can do, well, for, it's getting out and it's moving very rapidly. 
But the best thing would be to turn around and uh, just give the Taliban help to rebuild. And with no Americans even, you can get all oh, the Turks would love to move in there. These oh, these wily Turks, they want the airport. They could, you know, if the Americans tried to really help, which they never did for Vietnam, right? Uh, Vietnam just uh, went down into a, a pit. Uh, yeah, and, and so did the American POWs that were kept there uh, as a kind of bargaining chip that if, hey, if you Americans come through on your promise that you made uh, in, in the deal yeah. that we signed for that aid you promised us, those reparations, then we'll yeah. release these guys. And the Americans said, oh, what are you talking about? What aid? What reparations? What POWs? Yeah. Uh, and so the, these uh, you know, hundreds, if not a couple of thousand of American prisoners just rotted doing slave labor and finally died. And they wow. were just totally abandoned by the U.S. government. So uh, please, uh, I'm just making notes here. The, so the U.S. Uh, actually promised aid. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that yeah the, 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 there's a book on this called An Enormous Crime, which is highly recommended. And then I An think Ron Unz did a great piece on this, too, at, at, at his American Profta column at Unz Review. Oh, because uh, I like to see that. Uh, I can't. Yeah, but that, that's true. They, they actually. And where, when would they have promised that in the 73 uh, final uh, accord? Or, or I believe so. Yes. It must have been that there once the Americans uh, leave. Uh, that there will be because I find that really hard. to. I, I think I think it also I'm not sure if it was in writing is the problem. Uh, but, but. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like NATO, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, sure, right. NATO's not going to go into Europe. Don't worry. Don't. Yeah, worry. We, 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 won't, we won't move NATO one inch eastward. Of course, <laughs> we would never do that. <laughs> so, yeah. OK. Um, uh, let's see now what, what I what I really enjoyed. Uh, what one thing I really enjoyed was the statistics of uh, why the U.S. looks like it's the richest nation where as uh, the really half of the statistics are fi finance, what is it, fi wire? Uh, um, oh, where I quoted here, magic numbers. Um, yes, uh, fire economy, the finance, insurance, real estate. So uh, that that is like 50% of the economy, of the GDP. Is, is and what does that mean? It means nothing, you know. If you for Marx that you just wipe them off the whole board, you know, that means they're unproductive labor. So, uh, whereas a good economy that would be maybe 20 percent that kind of administrative, whatever that's the way it used to be. Uh, I think if you go back a uh, hundred uh, more, a hundred years or, or so, it would still have been a healthy balance, but. But we and we can't see that because the statistics, everything's the same. It's I love the uh, uh, the little um, uh, example he shows. He says, I, "If uh, you and I are little boys, and uh, I agree to shine your shoes uh, for ten dollars, and then you agree to shine uh, my shoes for ten dollars, so then we both uh, uh, it, it would appear like twenty dollars <clears throat> on the on the uh, statistics." In the GDP, you just added twenty dollars to the GDP. <laughs> Nothing happened at all. And, and if you shine each other's shoes for a million dollars each, you just added two million dollars <laughs> to the GDP. Uh, so I, there's some lovely ironies. Of, uh, that's why I like uh, with uh, 
with uh, Dmitry with Orlok. He, he he kind of enjoys he enjoys the stink, basically. That's the you know it smells it smells beautiful even though it's rotting. Right, the anti-Durian. Well, well, Eric, what what about the counter-argument that, okay, so the finance sector is obviously bloated beyond belief in the U.S., but what if we say that, okay, so the role of money is largely power, that is money gives one, Mm -hmm. the one who has it, the power to command the labor of others. And so this finance sector of the economy that's largely in the United States is able to command the labor of people all over the world. So it's just like, you know, if, if let's say within the United States, all of the finance was in Manhattan. And so you had a bunch of super rich billionaires squashed on this very high priced real estate in Manhattan. And then their money was used to uh, basically run all the actual businesses throughout the United States. Uh, you might say, well, Manhattan is a parasite and these these financiers in Manhattan don't really make anything. So it's all a joke and they're going to collapse. But the guy that these financiers in Manhattan would just laugh and say, no, we've got these dollars and we're using them to hypnotize and enslave all of these people on, in the farms and factories of the United States. And we're sucking a, you know, a piece of the action off of all of their productive labor. And we've used that to pile up this huge pile of money that we're sitting on here on Manhattan. And we're ruling the United States from Manhattan. So you can call us unproductive all you want, but we're in charge and we can pay somebody to uh, to ruin your reputation or kill you for a tiny pittance of what we own here. So we've got the power and we've got the money and nobody's going to take it away from us. So what if the U.S. makes that same argument and says, well, we are to the world as Manhattan was to the U.S. in the situation I just described. Uh, and as long as the world keeps taking orders from the U.S. in orders to to accept dollars in turn for real goods and services, then the U.S. empire keeps ruling the world. And every time things get shaky, the world rushes back into dollars because they're viewed as a safe haven. So given that, when is this really going to collapse? When are people going to stop accepting dollars? Well, it's collapsing. Uh, Russia, China, a lot of their trade now is just in their own currencies. Russia is completely off uh, U.S. Uh, currency in its uh, in its reserves, uh, and Iran's been through this horror, this nightmare, but it's survived. Alhamdulillah. And uh, once, well, I don't know what's this Biden and uh, their their. Uh, Dancing around on on the on the J what is it JCPOA uh, whatever I, I don't know that's very depressing that but they, they it's that's not the be all and end all they're they're still trading and uh, China I'm sure China is going to go ahead uh, China and the U S have no uh, well of course China's got all those treasury bonds I it can't destroy the dollar I I, I don't. You'll have to explain that to me. Right. Well, well that, that's the thing, Eric. That. Is it, it, for for a long time, there's been this discussion about how China has a lot of T bonds, and you know they could hurt the U.S. economy or maybe even implode it, but they don't want to. But and in, in, if you think about it geopolitically, and the way I was describing it earlier, uh, the Chinese economy is growing. It's still pretty close to double digits. It, it's been averaging double digits for 40 years, and the Chinese know that. 
in their situation, it's likely that the U.S. would wage a preemptive war to try to stop that to prevent China from becoming number one power. So given that situation, the more time that goes by without that preemptive war, uh, the better yeah, off China is. Right. Yeah, so they, not, don't, they don't want to mess with the U.S. They want to keep playing, playing the long game. It's not really an aggressive. It likes to get little bits of India now and then, but it's not it's not trying to take over the world. Uh, and Vietnam. I mean, it's not it's not a very friendly neighbor. It did invade Vietnam, too. I don't think I'd like to be a, a neighbor of China, except if I'm North Korean. No, but uh, um, I, I think uh, I wanted to ask you, did you do you know the Chinese director Chung Ke? Uh, no, I don't. Is, he's a film director. Film director. Z I'll never learn Chinese names. Uh, Z H A N G K E. Uh, he's really the probably the best. He's but he's a very art. Uh, I just watched his film, The Touch of of Sin, and it's uh, about four or five interwoven. You should watch it because it, it, it it's more. I watched it more just to see how Chinese live day to day and relate to each other and, and try to, what they think of, well, because you, you, the best person to do that is, he's like a Fellini, uh, you know, that kind of uh, psych, psychological Buñuel, uh, a very interesting film, but it's so bleak. I thought, oh, and all I could keep thinking of is that cultural revolution and how, how it just, tore the country and moved people around and it, you know it created this uh seething every all the apartments everything's the same this is taking place in Changguang. uh well, i don't know it's one of the many 10 million dollar 10 million person uh, mega cities there and they just all look the same oh it's so depressing modern china with all its all its wonderful growth it's i would never want to live there it really was but you watch it and see what you think. I, okay. I, yeah, I'll I'll check that out. And the violence, the, uh, the violence that it shows, uh, and and the random violence and the cruelty, and it's the capitalism. You know, it's like they're trying to. One peasant was trying to get what they sold the coal mine out from under the collective, and the guy's now got an airplane, and and it's all based on true stories. I I I can't believe that he got this through censors. It's it was 2014 too. It's a while ago, but but the, the, those kind of uh, uh, it's like Dallas or not Dallas, but something more more sensational about uh, the and the super rich and and how they once were friends and now they stab each other and and literally stab and then it gets to the point where a woman's s- stabbing someone in a masseuse parlor. He's trying to rape her and, uh, and uh, so it's actually very empowering. That's a very powerful scene. But yeah, watch that. So China, I I don't know. It's it's not it's not collapsing, but I certainly would rather live and smell the stink of Canada. I think, but I, who knows where we're going? We're not going to be much better off. We're yeah, well, a lot of people are terrified of a kind of a, a Chinese uh, censorship kind of system with uh, social credit running everything. Oh, and, and some have pointed out that the idea that the Chinese have a totally censored internet 
and that we don't is not entirely true these days, at least. Maybe it was true in 2015 or 20, 2005, but today yeah. we have the same kind of corporate government uh, working together to censor the internet that China does. It's, it really works almost exactly the same here. It's almost as if the Western oligarchs decided to follow the Chinese model. And so today, as they ban people from platforms and they take people off of Twitter and Facebook and so on, that's exactly what they do in China. In China, well, a lot of people think that in China, they, they totally censor stuff. And, and once in a blue moon, they do mostly what they do is they take down stuff that's deemed sort of socially dangerous from the big platforms. But Chinese people could still find it if they know how to avoid the big platforms. And just like we have to now go to places like Rumble and, and Twitch and Gab and these kinds of smaller platforms for free speech because Facebook and Twitter uh, and YouTube have banned free speech. It's exactly the same in China. That's how the Chinese censorship works. And just like in, you know, people say, oh, in America and, and the West, it, the censorship is done by corporations, whereas in China it's done by the government. So our censorship is okay and theirs isn't. But actually, in both cases, it's a government-private partnership because it's actually corporations, it's private entities that are doing almost all the censorship in China too. So we're becoming exactly like China in terms of our censored internet. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and that's that's what everybody hates about China, but they don't realize that, you know, it's just as bad here now. Mm. So and that leads to the question of what are we really fighting for? If we're going, you know, if they're going to try to whip us up into hysteria so we go to war with China, you would think they'll have to convince us that we're fighting for freedom and liberal Western values. Well, where is this freedom and where are these liberal Western values? I see fewer and fewer of them every day. Yeah. Of course, you probably are not that thrilled with uh, with liberal Western values in the first place. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a... I'm not a generalist uh, on that. I mean, I like uh, some of liberalism, uh, uh, original liberalism, but it's all part of enlightenment. So, yes, it's a little bit um, black and white. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the actual tangible freedom. That is, I, I appreciate it when, you know, I can start saying something really subversive that mm -hmm. I think is true and yeah. important, like about 9-11, yeah. And I can put that out on the Internet. I can organize events and demonstrations and things like that. Actually, be, having done that and having also made similarly subversive kinds of statements about the JFK assassination in the past, uh, as well as other issues, I actually appreciate having been able to do that. And it's harder to do things like that in China. That's true. But today, they're ratcheting down on the Internet to the point that it's getting to be very similar to China. Well, I just told you about that film. I mean, it was made in China. I believe he's uh, he's uh, well known. He's not a dissident particularly, but he's very critical. Also, very critical of the uh, Cultural Revolution. He, you know, you you find some of that in his when he's talking to his grandfather or someone, and, and to the, what they went through and how it uh, really destroyed their family and left them very wounded. So. I think, see, I, I compare uh, China, it's that cultural revolution to what happened in the 30s in, in Russia, in Soviet Union. It, that was really, and it's about the same time. It was uh, 10 years after the, uh, or about 15 years after the revolution. Then it's just like, it's just like, the, it's like the coronavirus. You have the second wave of the revolution of, if you call it a virus or 
or whatever. And uh, it's even worse in terms of killing. But uh, I look at the Russian version, and I don't think it was nearly as bad as what the Chi- what Chinese, because the Chinese had that first huge wave of the uh, 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 thousand flowers campaign. Uh, oh, what? Um, the Great Leap Forward, that was one huge, and so many million, you know, uh, um, starved. And then, and then it started again in 66. Oh, so they went through two uh, huge. So it really must have shaken. And now you look at the Chinese uh, as, a, as a nation, the Han, they're very kind of, uh, I think, I, I, I like to really understand. I mean, there's, there's a good directors, there's good artists. I, I, it's good to see how they're interpreting what it's done to Chinese. I think they're actually there's a new development that uh, did you read this? I forget what it is. And now they translate it as do nothing, uh, something like that, that uh, Chinese youth now, they just uh, I guess when they're not at work, uh, they just do nothing. They, you know, they, they don't. So, so that's the latest fad in China. So yeah. Do nothing. If you're a hip young person, you sit around doing nothing. Yes, absolutely. Some kind and, of and they and they smirk and look down their noses at you if you're actually doing something. I guess I don't know. Well, I don't know. There, there must be more to it than that. But <laughs> I uh, would think so. I hope so. <laughs> but but uh, it's just it's like to go on strike. Enough of busy all the time. You know, we're working uh, overtime, and uh, that's not life. So. But that maybe that's just a flash in the pan. I don't know. But there will, uh, well, that, that sort of that reminds me of that anarchist slogan about the right to be lazy. Remember that? Yeah. Uh huh. That's that's. I love that. Oh, that, thank you. There's something to be said for it. Uh huh. That that's, I I love those anarchists. Anarchists. Yeah, I think the anarchists won the debate with the communists in the 19th century, but nobody yeah. noticed. Well, but nobody noticed. That's the whole thing with the anarchists. No, but I mean, they're they're a flipperty gibbet. Uh, hold on, what was it? The anarchists. I want the right to be lazy. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's there was a whole strain of anarchism that followed that line of thought, which actually I think is is cool. And, and interestingly, you know, the anarchist movement was brought down using the same kind of false flag tactics that have been used over and over and over against uh, various kinds of subversive movements. They were infiltrated, and the Secret Service folks managed to create these horrible bombings that maimed and mutilated and murdered large numbers of people, and that made headlines. And so everybody went crazy hating on anarchists, just like with 9-11 and the Was that the Frank Vanzetti? Yes, Axel and Vanzetti, of course, were a big case, yeah. What was the one you were referring to, uh, the explosions? Uh, the, The anarchist bombings? Is that the Haymarket? Well, there, there were, yeah, the hay, there was Haymarket, and but there were many of them in Europe. There were uh, there, there there was a whole string of them. And it's uh, very much like what happened with 9/11, and then the London bombing and Madrid. Uh, you know, the, all of these were obvious false flags. Uh, uh, Some more obvious than others. I guess Madrid, yeah. you actually have to read a little bit about it. But with uh, you know, with 9/11, you just look, you spend 30 seconds looking at Building Seven, and with Seven Seven, you spend. Yeah. 30 seconds listening to Peter Power. And you know these things are obvious false flags. But in any case, uh, you have these strings of these horrible bombings with horrific carnage, and they're used to discredit the group that you want to discredit. And it was anarchists back in the day, and and lately it's been Muslims. What do you think of the uh, Florida uh, collapse of the building? Yeah, that's a nice, clean... uh, 
it's possible to just collapse, I guess. Well, I mean, that, of course, that that wasn't building seven. That was sort of a one wing of the building. And, you know, but but yeah, it's a very weird looking collapse. And the mayor uh, said you know, he, he made a bunch of comments uh, about pulling it. And, you know, and, and buildings don't fall just fall down like that. Somebody had to have pulled it. Right. Did you see that? No. Well, they pulled the remaining part. They planted the bombs. The yeah. Next yeah, but no, before that, right right the day after it happened, oh, I he, he no, used I the expression that. pulled and he said that buildings don't collapse like that. And he said, if you know, people would have to do this. and that. So it, it was kind of ambiguous. The language yes, was yeah. quite. It, must have been, it looks like it must have been pulled. I mean, I, I looked at the, I watched the video. There's even a video you can watch on YouTube and, and it just, it was just gone. Yeah. And it didn't seem to even have much rubble. Wow. Yeah, and, and that looks a lot like that uh, Plasco building in Tehran, which was almost certainly a controlled demolition by organized crime. Architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth has done a very thorough uh, examination oh, of the Plasco building. And my Iranian sources confirm that that's likely what happened. Uh, but apparently the Iranian government decided that it would be too embarrassing to admit that organized crime can yeah. run roughshod around Iran. So they covered it up. Uh, wh when was that? And, uh, uh, it was a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. How many people died? You know, I forget exactly. Um, uh, well, uh, and uh, you think it was, and it was, it was mafia that did it. And did, uh, did they come to justice? Were they uh, apprehended? No, no they, they never were brought to justice. But it was, you know, whoever did it was probably in league with the usual suspects, the same kinds of neocon forces linked to organized crime that did 9-11. Because... Uh, just as it happened, the Plasco building collapses and immediately all of these heavily funded uh, exile Persian language networks out of Los Angeles mm -hmm. are broadcasting this extreme propaganda, blaming Iran's leadership for this. And they had all that propaganda ready to go and queued up before it even collapsed. And they just hammered on Iran. So this was used deliberately for a massive anti-Iran propaganda push which leads us to suspect that the same propagandists who use 9-11 for their propaganda push probably mm -hmm. were behind this as well. And there's certainly some Israeli and organized crime elements there. And probably probably in, in Florida, too. But we don't really know. There's not, you know, we had with 9-11, we have evidence, or at least I know about the evidence, but I don't know of strong evidence about who did these uh, apparent demolitions in, in Tehran and Probably uh, Florida. Uh huh. Well, you know, all this stuff does. You know, there are various degrees of being speculative when you talk about things like this. I suppose. Uh, well, <laughs> getting back to collapse, we have like we have a little less than five minutes left on the show. If you were going to bet on a timeline for collapse, you know, would, would it be a longer timeline or a shorter one? Like with Orlov, twenty years ago, he thought that peak oil was going to bring things down within exactly. a decade or two, and it hasn't. So. How many decades are we talking about? Well, you, you, you're the same. No, you're younger than I am. But uh, there was the Club of Rome, uh, um, and it was an M MIT uh, survey and uh, a prognosis back in 1967, 68. And uh, it's, it's being uh, looked at, the results. 
And they, 30 years later, they said exactly what the worst scenario uh, case was, uh, what uh, is, was taking place. So uh, it's, it's a continual, I mean, there's been a, uh, it's, it's bad and it's getting worse. So, uh, you know, who knows with wildfires, uh, how, how much of a feedback effect that all of the uh, uh, increased weather I mean, this weather that's, you know, what was it, uh, you're American, 100, uh, 110 in Siberia. And, and uh, it's been cool here in Toronto, thank God. I'm, yeah, yeah, but the Pacific Northwest went off the charts, like Portland, Seattle, uh, yes. Vancouver. My sister had to uh, dress in something wet to go to bed. It was so hot just to uh, keep the... Um, I'm not quite sure how that works, but I know they used to do that in Uzbekistan back in the good old days. Before. Oh, yeah, I, I still do that, Eric. That's how I stick. We don't have any air conditioning here in Wisconsin, and it can get up to 90s and 90% humidity, which is getting close to that mm-hmm. temperature that you know is threatening to life. Mm-hmm. And so I found that the remedy for that is jump in the lake. We do have a lake right here that we live on, get wet, uh-huh. and then uh, while you're still somewhat wet, uh, sit in front of a fan. And mm-hmm. that'll do it every time. Yes, that's great. So uh, I, I don't know, uh, 20 years from now, I'm 70. I mean, that would be wonderful to live another 20 years. I, I'm going to, I'm sure it's going to be in full, uh, uh, in, in full uh, dis, disarray by then. I think there, things will be moving. And I just what I'm living for is to watch people like you and younger people like us that are fighting. And uh, I, I see them in the Palestine movement. Uh, it's wonderful. I, the Electronic Intifada, the, uh, I love their podcasts interviewing young Americans uh, out uh, at the um, port. Uh, was it Oakland? Oh, what, what was? Yeah, the port, port of Oakland. Yeah, Oakland, where they uh, did that fabulous uh, turned away the uh, Zim, whatever, the uh, uh, Israeli pl- uh, boat, and it couldn't go anywhere. And then it, the same in Philadelphia, everywhere. It's, uh, it's just like the 1980s, the anti-apartheid. And it's even more exciting somehow for me as a Muslim uh, that, you know, uh, to see the this possibility. Uh, so I think that's where my uh, focus is. I want to see something positive happen. I won't rest until I see that. Well, did did you see the latest poll showing that about one quarter of American yeah. Jews think that Israel is a genocidal apartheid state? <laughs> I know, but uh, the Jewish—that's uh, just Jewish humor. And there's also a, uh, where do Zionists get this ruthless? Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's a it's a um, it's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, chosen people mentality. And that's what uh, I was fighting in my book, that you've got to give up this chosen people. And you're wonderful people and you can be smarter, but you've got to just be noble in, in accepting that you're not going to rule the world. That's well, you know, what, what was crazy about this poll was that of that one quarter of American Jews that thinks that Israel is a genocidal apartheid state, the majority of them uh, do not agree with the idea that Israel doesn't have a right to exist. They strongly support Israel having a right to exist. Uh And they think that, I think a majority of them think that it's anti-Semitic to say Israel doesn't have a right to exist. Uh So uh, So, so they they love their genocidal apartheid state. They do. It's nice logic. 
I, okay, I, we're, we're going to have to sort that one out in the future because we hit the bumper music. Well, thank you so okay. much, Eric Wahlberg. Always yeah. good talking with you. Yeah, thanks. So God bless and assalamu alaikum, brother. Right. <laughs> Eric Wahlberg, back with another Eric who's found God. I'm a Christian Eric. That would be Eric Saber. Yeah. Yeah.